everyone, this is Bridget Harrington and Shannon Harrington and welcome back to the We, we Want, Want Arts podcast. podcast. Now today we have a really special guest, her name is Nafisa Monroe. I was able to work with Nafisa when we both did To Kill a Mockingbird at Queen's Theater together where she played Calpurnia and I was Scout. Now, Nafisa is an actress, spoken word artist, writer, martial artist, acting coach, and teacher. Um, She has a variety of uh, theater credits, including working at the Fulcher Theater, and also a variety of film and TV credits, including HBO's Deaf Poetry. And Nafisa is a mastered martial artist and also works as a stage violence designer and stage combat instructor. Nafisa also is the founder of her own theater company, Classics in Color, which is a theater company committed to inclusion on stage and off, especially in the classics. Um, The theater company is a model for ethnic, gender, age, and physically challenged inclusivity. We're so excited for this interview, so give it a listen. Well, Nafisa, thank you so much uh, for being on our podcast with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So I just have really, really fond memories of uh, performing in To Kill a Mockingbird with you several years ago uh, in Queens Theater. That's that's honestly one of my greatest memories ever performing, ever. Um, and I think our production was uh, such a strong and creative retelling of such a classic story. And what I enjoyed so much was, <laughs> I know you'll remember this, the student matinees uh, where they, would, they brought uh, class, classes of, in schools of, of, of local um, uh, high schoolers and maybe even middle schoolers to see the show, to come to a matinee and see the show. And they just lost their minds and they, they were just so yep. into it. And it was, it was amazing just to see how, how invested they were in, in, in literature and also theater. Um, so I, I was yeah. wondering if you could talk a little bit about why it's exciting to use the theater arts to bring classic works of literature to life, to educate modern audiences. <laughs> okay, so that's just, you know, a really like, yes, is the answer. No, I don't know. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing, especially when we talk about lots of the classic works and especially Shakespeare. I mean, I think the older that like in terms of the older materials that we get, the more we realize that actually this material was shared through storytelling like it wasn't always shared through reading you had you were it was pretty it was like an elite thing to be able to read so like even the stories of the bible and stuff like that if you go way 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 back those stories were told to each other by people speaking and performing them so when we bring these classic when we continue to bring classic literature whether we're adapting it or working from an original source like Shakespeare's work or what or or you know whatever the 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 material is and we're literally breathing life into it for a new generation like that that gives these young people especially but also I think old folks too like and when I say old folks I mean like myself and everyone else (laughs) but um the opportunity to to kind of engage in the material in a different way, right? It's so different reading a book versus listening to a book, right? So you can you can read a book and then you can listen to the audible version of it and you get a completely different 
experience of it. And I think that that is, that is what theater and classic works on stage really gets to do for young people, especially because a lot of my big argument about like why with my with my little theater company classics in color lots of people will say well why are you why are you just doing shakespeare we got to tell our stories and i'm like because shakespeare's not going away like these young people are not when there's i don't see a time in the near future when shakespeare's no longer taught in school like and and i don't think there should be and so if we continue to to allow other ourselves to see ourselves in these classic works then we enable the, the the current generation to not only appreciate the timelessness of this classic work, but also to experience it and make it their own. That was a really long answer. No, that but was, I, I, and I love what you had I to say. I hope it makes sense. Made sense. That, <laughs> no, I, and I love what you had to say about your theater company. I want to get to that in a little bit, but first, um, you know, we try to urge our listeners um, who are still students to pursue the arts in their schools and through their education um, or their coursework and maybe even through their post-secondary education. And you hold several degrees in the arts, including an MFA from the Shakespeare Theater Company's Academy for Classical Acting at the George Washington University. Whoo, that is a mouthful. Um, it's a really short, it's a very short title. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us, can you tell us just a little bit more about your journey through arts education and as a student and, and like how that affected you? Yeah. Um, well, for me, one of the, let's see, I grew, I was really, really um, fortunate to grow up in a town that had a theater company for children for kids. So it was called the Palo Alto Children's Theater. And so it wasn't just adults performing kids thing. It was kids performing for kids. But not only did we perform and you couldn't only perform, like if you wanted to perform, you had to participate backstage somehow. You had to either fold programs, run, help with the box office, make costumes, build the set, stage manage, fly the, you know, hang. I, so I grew up doing all of that stuff. That being said, we were always told, don't be an actor. Don't go into it for a career because it's so unsteady and, you know, this and that. And, um, and, but, but they encouraged our continual participation. So lots of people would say, well, why are you continuing to go to the theater? You just got a federal fellowship at NASA. Why aren't you like, and I'm like, no, I am working at NASA. But guess what? The way my ability to communicate at NASA is because of my learning of how to work together as a team from mm. theater, mm. right? And several of the kids that I, I mean, I, one of the kids that I grew up with who grew up doing theater, she's a freaking rocket scientist. Like for real, she is a rocket scientist. And she attributes her ability to speak to large crowds and demonstrate whatever material or science that she's doing because of her training in the arts because of her working as a team in the especially in the theater right so so I think for me like it's just continually done that and and I notice that every time with with the more education I get both in life and in um school the more uh the more depth that my teaching practice uh, has and and it, it's um 
And the more I'm able to really help people understand that arts education is life education, right? It's not it's not specific. It doesn't mean that you're going to go into the arts. In fact, for the most part, I always I tell kids, if there's anything else you can do that'll make you just as happy, do that. Yeah. But <laughs> but the arts give you, you know, but the arts teach you empathy. They teach you to be in tune with your body. They teach you how to listen. They teach you about word use, usage and the importance of, of um, how and how you say what you say and what your intent is behind what you say, you know, and, and all of those things I think are just make better humans and period, better community members. Anyways, that again, another really long answer. No, that's, I love, <laughs> and I love that. I love what you said about communication skills as well, because for me as somebody who's studying theater and politics mm-hmm. in college right now, I find that the communication skills really just lends himself perfectly to what I'm doing um, through political science. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, not only do you know how to talk to people, but you know how to listen to them and how to respond to them sincerely and, you know, and, and clearly, which is, yeah. And um, so you're going to be the second female president of the United States. <laughs> that that I, sure. Yes. Okay. Sounds good. Right. I'm just making sure I time for my voting. You know, I got to make sure I make sure I'm like, oh, I've got to look for Brid- Bridget Harrington. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so besides being an actor, um, we know that you're also a spoken word artist and you have written and performed your own poetry across the country. Could you just talk about what drew you to poetry and if it helps you uh, explore a side of yourself as an artist that you can't do just by uh, theater. That's interesting. Yeah. So poetry came about as a, by accident, right? So I studied it in college as part of what, as part of my, um, my degree, my undergrad degree, which was in African-American studies. And I focused in on African-American playwrights, but one of the courses I took were African-American poets and so, you know, so I wrote poetry, but I never considered myself a poet. Now, when I got back to L.A. after I graduated undergrad, I had broken up with my fiance. Oh, the drama. And um, <laughs> and all of my friends had started this. Um, they had taken something that that I that I had been a part of before I left and they made it they had turned it into basically this open mic poetry night so I just started hanging that was like where my friends were so I hung out with them and then I started writing and then I started performing and then they started encouraging me to memorize my own poetry and I was like I can't memorize my own poetry it's totally different to memorize somebody else's work but to memorize my own was really weird and personal and vulnerable and like scary, super scary. Um, Anyways, and so that kind of just became its own animal. And I just went along with it. (laughs) Um, What the big thing for me was that once I started writing poetry regularly, and I really kind of developed my own style, I then started reading Shakespeare again. And I was reading some of his verse and I was like, all of a sudden, I literally had a moment where I was like, oh, he's telling me where to breathe. Like when I write my poetry and I break up the line and that's where I breathe. Oh my God. Oh my God. Where this, oh my God. <laughs> and it was like the first time that I really connected with 
Shakespeare in that way, where I really had my own personal connection with that, with his work. And that is why I went kind of deeper and delved deeper in, in, into that kind of material and that classic work, because I, I wanted to know how can I help young people make those personal connections sooner, right? Not when they're old maids like I was, but now I'm an, a young old maid, but then I was an old, old maid. That's I'm, so, I'm, I'm going backwards. <laughs> that's so cool that you were able to make that discovery with Shakespeare's work by writing your own. And I'm sure that it would have been more difficult to make that discovery had you not started writing your own works. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, the, I, I need to give um, credit where credit is due to the, so the poetry place still exists. It's still in Los Angeles and it is called Da Poetry Lounge, D-A, which does not stand for the, it stands for Dante's Poetry Lounge, which is the, one of the people who founded it. But, um, you know, I was, I was one of the very first groups, but th that is where like, Later, Russell Simmons got the idea to do Deaf Poetry Jam and like the majority of, of uh, many, many years ago, Norman Lear had put together a poetry performance thing to encourage people to vote and lots of the poets came from that venue. Like many of those poets have gone on to do big, incredible stuff that multiple books. Actually, Omari Hardwick, who is on what uh, that show Power, he was one of our, you know, he was one of the poets back then. That was one, you know, we were all, a lot of us were, were actors who were making positive use of our downtime, right? And being creative in other ways. And, and for some people, the poetry like became their, their primary creations, you know, so. Well, it still exists in me. I don't perform very often anymore, but on occasion. <laughs> well, Nafisa, I wanted to talk to you about your role as the founder. We were talking about this earlier um, with your role as the founder of Classics in Color, which is an inclusive theater company whose mission is producing inclusively cast classic works. And basically what you try to do is expand the perception of classic theater. So I just want to know, what do you think inclusivity in terms of ethnicity, gender, and age looks like today in theater? And how does your theater company try to bring this about? Woo, that's a good question. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer it by telling you a little story about when I first started the company, right? So I'm of mixed ethnic descent. So my dad is black, a descendant of the of, of slaves. So I don't know like exactly what part of Africa I'm from, but I do claim Africa. And I claim Haiti as well, because we think that my father's father was from Haiti, but we actually aren't 100% sure either. And then my mom's side was German and Irish. So I'm multi-ethnic. And uh, when I first started Classics in Color, I was like, well, part of the problem is like, I don't want to see... I don't want it to be African-American Shakespeare, which is great. I love seeing those shows. And I love like the um, Pacific, uh, there's, I forget the name of the, of the theater company, but there's a couple theater companies that are like all Asian and, and then there's Deaf West. And, and um, I love all of that work, but I'm, I'm like, but our community coming together needs to see us coming together. Like we need to learn how to tell these stories as a, as a law, as an inclusive community. 
And then as I started working, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to be inclusive, I need to be inclusive of like non-neurotypical folks. I need to be inclusive of disabled artists. I need to be inclusive of single parents, right? And um, <laughs> and it turns out it's freaking difficult, but it is so worth it. So when we, we you know, we, as, we're a small theater company and I pretty much, I when we go into production, I, I call forth the troops and whoever can participate and has the time comes forth. But, but, but mostly, you know, it's stuff that I start on my own. And so it's, you know, we don't have a lot of money and we're just working on basics. So when I started, when we went into our last production, which was in 2018, I wanted to be sure that we rehearsed in a place that was accessible for everybody. Right. So it needed to be accessible for the actors, meaning that there needed to be if I hired an actor in a wheelchair, I needed to know that they could get to the stage and to their dressing room and to the bathroom in their wheelchair on their own. If I hired some tech people who were in a wheelchair, a stage manager in a wheelchair, a light operator in a wheelchair, I needed to. And I can like, especially in New York, when you're working with these historic buildings, it is so freaking difficult. A lot of these buildings have made um, accommodations for the audience members, but not for the actors, mm. right? So the actors, the dressing room and the, and the theater might be on the same stage on the same level, but the bathroom is two flights down stairs and there's no you know, elevator. And in fact, I ended up not being able to find a place that had a booth that wasn't access, that was accessible. I ended up going with a place that everything else was accessible for the actors and everybody, but the booth was not. And it was like, and it still broke my heart, even though I didn't, I didn't have a stage manager in a wheelchair, but I want to be able to have a stage manager in a wheelchair. If I want to, if a stage manager in a wheelchair is the person who's the best person for that job. Um, so what it has done for me, it has really opened my eyes. Like there was this one place that was amazing and the price was right. And, but their bathroom door was four inches too too um, narrow for a wheelchair to get in, uh, or like, or sometimes when they've built the tile floors up, right, and they haven't they haven't created a ramp from the hallway into the tile, and that makes it inaccessible. And like these are small things that when you're not in a wheelchair or when you're not blind or you know what I mean are things you don't think about, <laughs> and and it has opened my eyes to so much um, and I'm super grateful and super committed and also it is super hard <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that's a and did that's, that answer the question I don't oh, even know that, if that answered the no, question of course no we, that's that's so awesome and I just think that the mission of this theater company is just so awesome and so important um right now and so I just you know, we're, we're so inspired by that and by, by the mission of this, of the, of the company. Right. And, and just awesome. well, well, what you don't, what you two don't know is that you're going to be running the education department shortly. <laughs> <laughs> when she's present. Since you've already like, you've already got the grand, a grant, uh, like the ground, the ground, what's the groundwork? The yes, groundwork has, yes. has great. <laughs> that will, you know, I'll just be like, bring in and find out what you need. We'll do some fundraising. Let's get it done. <laughs> well, we've got one more question for you kind of going off of that. Um, so another reason okay. why it's just so important for students to study the arts is because the arts often, uh, you, the artists often use the arts and theater to bring about social change. 
Um, so what mm -hmm. do you think it is about uh, art that makes it capable of changing attitudes and inspiring social change? There is a civil, is, is, no, he's not a civil rights. He was a, uh, crap. I don't know what he was. In, I don't even know what his official title was, but he was a doctor. His name was uh, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois or Dubois, if you say it in the French, um, in the French way. And he has a quote that is often misused that starts with all art is propaganda. And so people like start using that quote and they're like, it's me, it's bad, all art is propaganda. But if you actually read the entire quote, what he says is, is all art essentially is a way of sharing and telling people, showing them who they can be and what society can be. So, that, so you must be conscious of the art that you put forth because it is all propaganda. And if you, and, and so do you, are you, which propaganda are you choosing? Are you choosing inclusive propaganda? Are you choosing community over individualism? Are you, what are, what are you choosing? Right. And, um, <clears throat> and for me, that's the biggest thing that I think um, can inspire social changes is continuing to see see life through other people's eyes, right? To experience other people's experiences in a way that, that we may never have the opportunity as an individual, right? And as, as an opportunity to understand one another in more depth, but also to see what the potential is for the future. Like I'm a big sci-fi girl, so I'm, all, I'm always like, ooh, when is that gonna come? You know, like you go back and you watch old Star Trek and you're like, oh, we have that, we have that, we have that, we have video chat, we have video, like we have cell phone, like <laughs> we have all of those things that they thought about in the 50s and 60s. So, you know, what is our future looking like you know, you watch The Matrix. I know you two are, are, are too young. You probably haven't seen The Matrix, but yes, like when The have. Matrix. Yes, yes, we have. Yes, we have. Well, you also love you also love The Beatles, so I should know better. <laughs> but like when The Matrix first came out, I'll never forget this one reviewer wrote, the future looks black. And I thought, yeah, yeah, it does. The future looks like, it looks like everybody. It looks like all of us, you know? So, um I think that's, okay, I'm going to tell one more story that you probably have heard, and then I'll be done with this answer. But so the black woman on the original Star Trek, her name is Nichelle Nichols, and her character was Uhura, which is now played by um, Zoe Saldana, right, in the new movies. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, but this black, uh, Nichelle was a, was a cabaret, like she was a cabaret singer, dancer, she like, she had traveled a bunch before she started doing Star Trek. And when they did the pilot, she was on a show or something like that. Fact check me on these details because I probably am getting them wrong. But this detail I know to be true. She was offered the show or the show needed to come back or something like that. And she wasn't going to take it. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called her and said, you must take this job. See, when I heard the story, I thought, oh, he encouraged her to take the job. And I had the opportunity to meet her once many, many years ago. And I said, is this true? Did Martin Luther King, King Jr. call you and encourage you to take the job? And she said, oh, honey, he insisted I take the job. 
because he said, it's important that people see us in the future, right? And that's an example of like what the arts can do. Like they can demonstrate what we can be, right? It teaches us who we are. We experience who we are. And then we get to move forward and see who we can be. So I, that, that was such an awesome answer. You know, I'm, I'm, and I'm happy that you brought up the, the all art is propaganda quote, because in my world theater class that I just took last semester at Notre Dame, we studied that, we studied him, we studied that quote. And I remember people in the class kind of being shocked at first because it is kind of a bold statement to say that all art is propaganda. But the more you think about it, Mm -hmm. um, I think it just speaks to how art can communicate ideas and and change attitudes and just bring about social change but yeah no that Nafisa thank you so much this has been such a great conversation and it's we've had a lot of fun oh my goodness well I'm thank you so much for having me you two grown women (laughs) I knew these women when they were young people now they're grown ups (laughs) not yet not yet If you haven't done so already, follow Broadway Arts Reach on Facebook and check out our website at broadwayartsreach.org. That's Broadway, A-R-T-S-R-E-A-C-H. Also, follow my sister and I on our social media pages on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll be back soon. Bye!